Welcome, Highfalutin Ski Bump Podcast, episode number 237. It is your pals, Mario and Brian. Mario, what's up? Not much, just uh, getting on with the week. Super Bowl weekend just happened. A uh, lot going on. Just uh, good to be back in the show, getting getting some podcasting going. Well, you're right there. Some... You're in the uh, Champion Bay, Champa Bay, right? You're Champa in that area. Bay. I, I think it's a pretty stupid, uh, act, you know, thing they're they're labeling the city, but it works. It's kind of cool, I guess. It's I better guess. than Tampa Bay, right? That's that's right. Well, you got a Stanley Cup, you got a Super Bowl trophy, you almost got a World Series, like you know, a lot of stuff, a lot almost of positive a, things. Uh, uh, and then they threw in the soccer in there too, because they almost uh, they almost made the soccer championship. Oh, for, really? M- yeah. MLS? I don't even think they're MLS. I think they're under that. But I'm like. Okay, I mean they're really good, but you know they're they're not in the pro level pro ca- pro category. So whatever. It's like it's like the women's lacrosse team won the championship too, man. How come you forgot about that? Exactly. You know, like yeah. So but hey, draws. But congratulations to your your region. The region. Hey, the region. It brought a lot of attention. A lot of people. A lot of hate came to the the weekend for doing the Super Bowl halftime, which I was like. I got to tell you, I enjoyed the weekend's Super Bowl, like the halftime show, more than anyone I, since like Prince, to be honest. Yeah, it was not bad. And they used a lot the of people field, which was kind of cool. Like he was all over the place. Like it wasn't just him on the stage. Like when they got the who, like Jesus Christ, why the hell is the who there? What year is this? Right. And I think that's why a lot of people like the old ones were because it was like live music and they had... Is more more like live bands, and they had like more people on less theatrics. But you had fucking COVID going on. What what are you gonna do, right? Everybody's yeah. got to wear a mask, like you know. So I heard that he put uh, a shit seven ton of million own, bucks of his own money. His own money. How much like, money does the goddamn weekend have? Apparently, <laughs> wheelbarrows of cash, man. I got seven point two million, and I spent seven million on the Super Bowl. Like, I did not? hear a great quote. They were saying that it was sponsored by Pepsi. But the whole halftime show was about Coke. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's cute. It was yeah, kind of Michael Jacksonist. I was like, hmm. Speaking of Pepsi, they, if they lit somebody on fire, that would have been something. Yeah, right. That would have been I, true. Pepsi. I was really surprised. Usually, I don't even like. I was in and out of the Super Bowl. We were organizing the kitchen. I was editing a podcast. Like I was, but, uh, I had stuff to do. I, I don't have time to sit for four hours and watch a bunch of other men play a game. I got things to do. So I actually was like folding laundry or doing something during the halftime show. And I was amazed how much I actually, I actually didn't hate it, which for me, that's a pretty glowing recommendation. Yeah, see, it was pretty good. I liked it. His music's pretty good too. What am I going to do? It's catchy. You know, it's like, it's like COVID. It's catchy. It's shorter than, I don't like, like a long ass halftime. Like the skank fest last year with Shakira and JLo. It's just like. I was like, do I really want to see another agenda? You know, it's like hoeing it up. It's like, uh, we get it. It's like. You know what the weekend did? He did a few commercials and they put on a goddamn show. It was great. That's it. Yes. I love it. I love it. Just show up, do your job, go home. That's, that's what they did for do football. Some coke and go home. That's what you do for, for the Super Bowl <laughs> halftime. That's all we want. You know, like, let's keep it simple, people. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, thank you all for listening to this madness. We really do appreciate it. We had a great interview this past week with Eric Wilbur. He is the co-author of the book that we talked about a few weeks ago with Dan mm-hmm. Egan. His book, 30 Years mm-hmm. in a White Haze. The two of them wrote the book together. Got a great inside perspective from eric and 
You'll hear more about that later on the show. We do appreciate you listening. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. All of our info is there. Socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, untapped at Podcast. Send us an email, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. If you want stickers, hit us up there or on Instagram, DM us. We got a shop on there, skibumpodcast.com slash shop. And no, there are no more Yeti mugs available. The final one has been sold. If you're waiting, you just got, you just got front run. Why did you wait? It's like last year, like you were ready to go and go ski at Whistler on March 30th. And And you know what happened? Wait, right? COVID happened. COVID, if it ain't COVID, it's a pregnancy test. It's a freaking work. There's always something that's going to prevent you from doing what you really want to do. So that's right. if you wanted that Yeti mug, you blew it. There's no more left. And I was even looking to order some new ones. The ones I want to order, they're sold out too. So you know what? Poo-poo oh. to me. Same thing happens. Unlike the Warren Miller saying, if you don't do it today, you'll be one day older when you do it tomorrow you, you don't even have a chance to do it not a chance not, not a chance opportunity lost eventually there will be other opportunities but this one is gone but you buy all the stuff other stuff is still there yes some dope swag shirt. the shirts are good dope swag. i'm wearing nice. a hat i love those shirts they're nice we got shirts we got sweatshirts we got the hats the hoodie i wear all the time the, the uh, hoodies zipper, are- the zipper the hoodies are fantastic zipper hoodie i love that yeah so check that out favorite podcasting apps rate subscribe we really appreciate that we want to thank our awesome sponsors and we have two of them valon valon eyewear v-a-l-l-o-n dot s-t-o-r-e classic style maximum performance sunglasses and goggles they have updates on classic styles using modern materials they're at a verbier reasonably priced independent and family owned they will clean up one kilogram of plastic waste for every sale, over 54 million pounds thus far. Free shipping, express shipping available, free returns. Go to the website valon.store and use the code SKIBUM15 at checkout for 15% off. Also, oh. a huge thank you to Terracia. They are our outerwear sponsor, terracia.com, T-E-R-R-A-C-E-A.com. They provide premium cold weather solutions. Their mission is to create best-in-class apparel that can be worn in any cold temperature environment, designed with thoughtful features and fit, always providing the optimum level of performance for whatever you are doing. They are a New Hampshire-based business. I've been rocking my sorrel shell. I absolutely love it. Mario, I know you've been rocking the beacon jacket. I have been rocking that jacket all over the place and it's been awesome. Great fit, great comfort, warm. I can't even say enough about it. And they are reasonably priced for the high level of quality they provide. So give I mean, them a I'm from Florida now. And it was cold AF when I was in Utah. I was nice and comfy warm. Yeah. Again, I have the shell, so I don't have the insulation that you do, but I I I love it. It lets me put two layers on. It's got a nice fit sensible smart pocket design keeps me warm yep terracia.com t-e-r-r-a-c-e-a.com and if you go to their website use the code terracia bum and you will get 15 percent off i know i am trying to get my hands on one of their puffers they've got some really really nice i was just looking at those they're really yeah sweet. they're really really sweet um, multicolor puffer 
yeah, I like that that grayish one that they have. So if you guys go to Terracia.com and use Terracia Bum at checkout, they will see that we are pushing people to the site and they will go, hey, Brian and Mario, you guys are awesome. Here's some more product that you can keep pushing so you can help us sell more product. And we would be happy to do that because they are a small business. They're New Hampshire based, like I said, and they're really good people and they're trying to do something that's pretty tough to do when you're competing with the big dogs. So they're putting out a great product and we're doing everything we can to push them. So thank you, Terracia. I'll have a link on the website. Show notes as well. Pants actually look good. And the pants are sweet. I like, I actually have a pair and they are super dope. I have the, uh, it's Mm. funny. They said they're jet black. They're actually more of like a, like a greenish, slight greenish gray. And they look awesome. The, 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 a little gray because you know jet black every kind of cheap company has a jet black you know like you like any of like the simple brand the basic stuff you see the guys that you know just G5 getting into jet it black what's that it's g5 jet black g5 jet black yeah <laughs> what's the color avanta black that's like the nothing avanta. is more black than that color avanta black avanta black but yeah this color i love the color they're super dope they're really warm i can't say enough about them they're uh, they're great. It's a great product that they're putting out there at Terracia. So check you them out. Check out matching yellow pants. I can't beat the banana, dude. All banana. <laughs> for like for, for the banana on the mountain, and people were like, "What?" And then they'd see like, "I know what oh, you're talking about now." Me and exactly. Steve could both be the, the uh, co-bananas together. <laughs> That's right, Steve. Has a <laughs> the banana boys. Banana boys. Yes. If you banana. want to be a banana too, you too. Terracia.com. The gorilla. I'll be all black, just the gorilla. <laughs> Like bam, what is this Ishkill? I know Ishkill. It was great. We saw bana- uh, uh, what was we saw bananas all over the place, and then we saw them at Apreski, and there was one guy dressed as a gorilla and and like seven bananas. I was like, now it came together. It was all day seeing that, and it all came together like magic at Apreski. The Euros just have more fun, man. That's a fact. It was freaking magical. Yeah. Well, speaking of Apre, it's time. For our prey today. Mario, what are you rocking today? Well, today I got one of my selections from Beer of the Month. Again, it's, they're still coming. I don't know how much, <laughs> how, how many months I was uh, gifted, but I'm not going to complain. I'm just going to keep drinking them when they come. It'd be awesome if there was a glitch in their system, like something <laughs> happened and like auto renewed your Beer of the Month. For like to work for Time Magazine. There were so many people that were either dead or canceled their subscription <laughs> that were still getting magazines like two, three years later. I personally worked with time- a guy. Yeah, like time like bankrupt to sell their building. They got bought. Like it's yeah, they dismantled the whole place. But I actually worked with a guy who's like, yeah, his dad passed away many years ago, and he was a a doctor, and he was he said it was literally like three years going, and he's called. He knows the people that work in the department, and he would tell them. And he's like, I'm still getting these magazines three years later. He's like, we're not paying for them. He's like, I don't know what's going on. It was a glitch. You know, it's like like if you have Sirius Radio in your car, you know, you buy a new car and they're like, oh, you get Sirius Radio for you know three months or six months yeah. or whatever. And then they are like, hey, you know, you got to renew now. And it's, uh, you know, whatever, 300 bucks a month or a year, 200 bucks a year, whatever. And you call them up and you're like, I'm canceling. And they're like, well, how about we give it to you for like a quarter of the price? Would you stay a subscriber then? And you're like, mm, I guess so. You always got to say no. 
and then you get the five dollar a month offer. That's what I usually get, dude. Every year you do the exact same thing. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm gonna cancel. And they're like, "Well, are you sure? Like, we'll give you the cheap deal because all they care about radio. It's like it's it's the same radio that I get. Like, I get free radio. It's like, do you know what my phone can do? I can listen to anything at any moment. Like. Exactly. Yeah. But the, all they care about is their subscriber numbers. That's the metric that matters to them. So if you could pay like they could pay you five bucks a month and they'd be like, well, we got subscribers here. This is what matters. We got more subscribers. We're capturing it. Yeah, yeah. it's great. So, yeah, I'll see if this keeps coming. But uh, <laughs> of the decade got, club, just got this one's from Three Sheeps Brewing Company in Wisconsin. Three oh. sheets or three sheeps? Three sheeps. Sheeps, sheeps, like bad sheep. So instead of being, you know, three sheets to the wind, they're three sheeps. Three sheeps to the, to wind. the wind. Ah, gotta love that Oscar Wilde like wordplay there. Nice, you're you're a master of that. <laughs> so this is called Fresh Coast. It's a an American pale ale, four point eight ABV, and this is really tasty. I gotta say, hints of sheep, hints of sheep, sheep dung, haggis. Uh, <laughs> sheep dip it almost tastes like a session but it's not fruity almost tastes new england-ish but it's not it tastes like a nice fresh hazy pale ale awesome. your advocate gave it an 88 wow so, which is pretty nice. good that's Quite good. very good on their scale so all right i what do you got i i didn't feel like beer today i started going through my fridge last week you know i had a couple of days of skiing you last week for loco didn't you Oh, that's going to be a special occasion. There'll definitely be pomp and circumstance when the Four Loco gets opened. Pomp and circumstance and maybe some some ambulance lights going on in that one. Utah has the champagne powder. New Jersey has the Four Loco powder. We're going to have to but, have like 911 on call. Like, yeah, he drank a, an old Four Loco. <laughs> like, okay, we got something for that. I think Narcan would help with that, right? I, I would hope so. <laughs> I think my my nurse sister in law has that. She can get that uh, a supply of that. So we'll have to make sure she's around when right. I do drink it. You need like an EpiPen, just standing by. <laughs> so I was drinking a lot of old beers last week. I was reminiscing. I don't know if that, right. that's smart or bad. There was a bunch. So, dude, our big trip when we did all those when that crappy winter when yeah. there was no snow from 2015 i had all these really good beers that if i drank them in 2015 would have blown my mind i will tell you in 2021 i think some of their mind blowingness had evaporated from the bottles it was like a time machine i drank a i drank an old heady topper that i had floating around wow i had a foley brothers prospect that was floating around Nice. So I was trying to like, I'm trying to get out, like, just like you were saying, get out with the old inventory so you can buy the new stuff. Your taste changed too. So that's the other thing. You probably, yeah, but you could tell when you cracked it open, you're like, mm, there isn't that kind of liveliness and excitement that it was. Yeah. When it was younger. I don't know. It's not like a fine wine. These beers don't age that well. So I decided I didn't want beer at all. I just need to go a different route. It's also so, midweek. I mean, yeah. So I decided I was going to have a lovely spot of tea and I was doing it in our, our special hot toddy ish fashion. So I have my throat coat with some lemon, honey and Asbach Uralt brandy. Nice. Yeah. That's always good. That's like a nightcap kind of, you know, smooth. It's good in the throat. 
People are like, did you take some sleepy time? Oh, oh yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. I made it sleepy time tea. This is the real sleepy time tea. That's right. That's what I got. And it's tasty and I love it. And I'm not apologizing for it. So, And that's kind of like an apres drink after you come off the mountain. That's a perfectly acceptable way to end. We have talked at nauseum about the lack of warm drink options at most apres places in the U.S. But yeah, I actually got could be a, one of them. an Irish coffee, I will say, a week and a half ago. And it was, they just put the Jamesons in it. And I was mm. like, all right, it was just coffee and Jamo. And I was like, all right, but usually there's like a little, cause they asked me if I wanted whipped cream on top. I'm like, no, I don't want any whipped cream, but they didn't put the Baileys in it. I'm like, it's mm. gotta be Baileys. That's your cream. And then the Jameson gives you a little wake up, you know? If only you had brought your Kirkland Irish cream oh, jug with you. I would have needed that in the backpack and just like a straw. Just like <laughs> just a camel, just a camel back full of Kirkland's Irish cream in the back. What's in here? I think this went bad. No, no, that's perfectly good. This is exactly how it should be. Let's go to ski news. And this was an interesting story that came out from Time magazine. What America's richest ski towns handling of COVID-19 says about the country. Now, this is a pretty long article. It was in on time.com. And it's all about good old Jackson, Wyoming, one of our favorite places to go and talk about. And it just kind of goes over their timeline over the last year, how things have been. And, you know, some of this, what I found the most interesting about this article is all these numbers they were throwing out there. And there's only 25,000 full-time residents in Jackson. Hmm. And, but it does host 2.5 million visitors. Wow. And they said roughly 30% of the region's jobs and over 1 billion in annual revenue is from tourism, hmm. which is crazy. And they were talking about there's one hospital and they were concerned about, you know, COVID overrunning the hospital. It didn't actually happen, but you know, their, their numbers have been skyrocketing there because of, they just have people flying in. You know, and going in and Drop going in, out. A few days skiing and then I'm out. Pretty much, yeah. And it goes into more of the demographics of the town, too. So Teton County is the wealthiest county in the U.S. with a per capita income of over $250,000. Damn. Just crazy. But they're talking about how during the start of the pandemic, you know, private jets would come in sometimes with private ventilators as second homeowners and new buyers escaped to a rural paradise to get your own vent- ventilator in your own home. Pretty much. Yeah. Like movie theater, ventilator area. Spa. And you know, that, that kind of pissed off a lot of people too. You know, when you have people who are losing their jobs and can barely get by and you have these rich people kind of just popping in and out of the, the mountains just to right. to get away to their second, third, fourth home. Hmm. And it talks about, yeah, this place is pretty much a gigantic country club relying on second homeowners and tourism for its revenue. Wow. And they said that the balance of the ultra wealthy with the real reality of people eking out a living here, 
um, it's tough. It's tough to kind of get that balance. And Teton County has the largest income gap of any county in the U.S. with the top one percent making almost 150 times more than the other 99 percent. Damn. I mean, you have so many people who are just there in the service industry, you know, bartenders, waiters, waitresses, mountain guides, lifties, all those folks. Well, think of the wealthy people coming into town. They're like, this place sucks. I can't even get a, a you know, a good waitress or where's the bellhop, yeah. waiter, you know, like what, what the hell, you know, I, I can't get the services that I deserve or I expect. It's like, you know, these people are just trying to make a living dumbass. Like, yeah, then it goes into talking about how it's it's so tricky. The like the balance we just talked about yeah. is that the town almost has to stay open for these people to have any sort of livelihood. The folks who are just trying to eke out a job and you know live paycheck to paycheck, just there. And they were saying that Jackson Hole Mountain Resort is the second largest employer in Teton County and is responsible for the livelihood of over 2000 seasonal and local workers. And if the mountain were to shut down, many of the ancillary services in the town, like hotels, restaurants, rental shops, clothing stores, and other retailers would likely shutter their doors as well. And back in 2017, remember that big power outage that they had? Yeah. For five days. So five days they were closed. The net economic impact to the local economy topped $5.5 million. Damn. Hmm. Yeah. So they're saying that roughly. So what they're saying is what's happening in Jackson is a story of wealthy people coming into the rural West and getting the locals sick. Hmm. But yet you rely on those people coming in so that you can keep your resort town open. Like it's a slippery, right? You kind of, you kind of need it, but you don't want it. Like it's. And that more or less summed up the article at the end. They were talking about how COVID kind of, it, it rose a bit right after Christmas, but then they issued new guidelines capping gatherings at 25% capacity. And they said that's actually really helped a lot. But at the end, they said, you know, these the the person who spoke anonymously was a restaurant worker. They were saying that at first, you know, when the pandemic first started, coming to work felt like entering the lion's den. It's like, but now we're all kind of used to the risk. And really, what choice do we have? Yeah. You know, like you said, a million bucks a day they're losing. Yeah. If they close the resort. And that's what. It's like at this point, it's a symbiotic relationship. You know, the town needs visitors and the visitors, you know, they, they can't, it won't get by. It'll, the whole thing will die if, right. if tourism was to stop. So mm. craziness. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's one of those crazy things about Jackson. It's kind of what is the huge negative to it is that, you know, when you're there, it's amazing and it's the, the, the mountain is incredible. The snow is incredible. We just hope people are honoring the precautions that they're supposed to be taking, right? And not going out if they're sick and or not even traveling if they're sick. It's just kind of, you know. Something we talked about in an interview that's coming up with Eric about certain uh, Vermont and their strict regulations they have. And he's trying to be very honorable about that. And But a lot of people, 
are selfish. Let's be honest. A lot of people just kind of... I was talking to a few people at work today. They were like, yeah, they know people. They went to Pennsylvania because they're like, you know, Vermont has such a strict thing and I could go to Pennsylvania and not have to quarantine. Whereas Vermont, they're requiring the quarantine and it's like a whole thing. And it's like, yeah, everybody's looking for a loophole right now just to get on the mountain. Mm -hmm. That said too, you know, the whole thing about just, well, if you're from this state, you can't come. But if you're from this state, it's okay. That's kind of idiotic too. Because right. you're Were just you around a lot of people that you don't know if they have COVID. Well, you, like that's just making that. stuff up now. You know, the politicians yeah. are just making up stuff to have some sort of semblance of control. But think about it. I mean, if you were to go skiing, I went skiing with my son last week, Pennsylvania. We went, we drove a car, we got out of the car, we put on our ski gear, we went to the ticket line. No one was near us. We got our ticket, we had our masks on, went to the lift. Went up and down, up and down, up and down. Had a snack. We took a break. We were outside at a table. Only ones at the table. Back on the lift, kind of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then we went home. How much exposure can you really have when you're outside, not near anyone, and you have a mask on? Right. You know? And if people act that way, I mean, part of the thing that we love about skiing, again, we the getting together, the app racing, all that. But you know what? If if you got to be smart and eliminate that or change how you do that to continue having a season, maybe it's worth it. Right. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of been the debate everyone's been having all season this year is how do you have a season, still have fun, but also be responsible. Well, I think it gets more to the, to the core of what you're there for skiing, right? Mm -hmm. Fun, but it's all about the skiing, you know, people that, generally don't ski as much as they want to party well you can have to look for somewhere else to party which you can't do anywhere so which is a perfect lead-in to the next story that's right so winter park reports covid19 outbreak among employees and they say it's just one of 11 current outbreaks at colorado ski areas so they're actually saying that um, the cause of this, they're saying, is social gatherings outside of the workplace and congregate housing. So essentially, people getting together, you know, on their own outside of what they would normally do. Uh, you know, people getting getting together there, and they're they're saying they're trying to. They didn't say how many people at Winter Park tested positive, but they were trying to do some tracking and figure out. Uh, where this, where everybody was getting sick from. And they're saying it seems to be, you know, outside of the workplace, people still getting together, hanging out at their own homes and doing their own thing and not necessarily, you know, being as, as uh, vigilant as, as we would want them to be at home. So it's just interesting while they close down the public areas where people normally would congregate, people are still congregating in private. So it's hard to stop humans from being humans. You know, that's, yeah, that's what it comes down to. Now, perhaps if winter park had created more luxurious accommodations for their employees, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be such a need for all this congregating. Perhaps it's all just roommates being stuck together because that's all they could afford. That's, that's all winter park is providing them. If they gave them luxurious yurts somewhere, Perhaps there'd be less commingling. 
Well, we look at what we were talking about with, you know, because we've done share houses before. So how do you do a share house? Even though you say, okay, we're hanging out uh, with just the people at the share house. We're not going out in public. It's just, you know, our little house together. We might ski together and do all sorts of stuff. But before you got to that share house, how do you know who those people were in touch with? You know, so... You know, you can it's impossible. It, it's yeah. absolutely impossible. And everyone is trying to create these codes and these restrictions. And it's it's noble. Something has to be done, but right. you're you're really again, you're you're grasping at air pretty much. Right. And you're just gonna piss off a lot of people. Yeah. This article continues to go on too about, you know, some some snowboarder was complaining about people not wearing masks and being too close and talking about people vaping and <sighs> well, if you, so no, here's the thing that if you don't feel comfortable and I had this with people I traveled with, or that were in a group that I was hanging out with the last few weeks. And a lot of them were like, you know, I don't feel comfortable here. I think somebody should have done something about it. And I'm like, looking at them saying, you can always get the fuck up and leave. Like be your own person. Yeah. Go go outside and have a meal by yourself. That's fine too. You know? Yeah. I mean, nobody has to set a rule for you to use your your own judgment and your own comfort to say, this is what I'm comfortable with or not. And you really have to take again, take a little bit of responsibility for your own actions. If you're hanging out or you're in a situation where you don't feel comfortable, you don't think it's right. Say something and get yourself out of the situation. How about yeah. that? The world you know? does not stop and start at your convenience. You, yeah. know, you you can't make everything comfortable for you. That's just not going to work. That's not how life works. And I do like this one quote they have in here. I'm trying to see who this came from. I think this is a spokeswoman for Winter Park. She said, there is no documentation that people are getting sick in lift lines or on chairlifts. In fact, the current reports out there say skiing and riding outdoors continues to be a low risk activity in terms of virus transmission. So like I said with my son, we just got in line. We stayed away from people. We wore our masks. We had our little snack outside. And we went home. Boom. Yeah. Not a problem. I mean, I've walked in personally walked into places where I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to the bar, grab a drink and something to eat. And I've gone in, looked at the place pretty packed, didn't see a lot of people with masks and stuff going on. And you know what I did? I took ownership of my own actions and I walked the hell out and I said, I'll go somewhere else. There's there's somewhere else that's open that I'll feel safer at and more comfortable at and I'll enjoy myself more, you know, smart move. Yeah, being responsible for your own life. There right. you go. Now, if I if I went in and I I was uncomfortable and I sat at the the bar and I did my own thing and I got COVID after, I'd have to say, well, it sucks that I got COVID, but I should have probably had a better sense about me too. You know, yeah, they should have had better requirements, but if they're meeting the requirements set by the state and local government, well, then it's just me and my comfort level. It's time for me to get out. You can't tell people exactly what to do because we're not that type of country. That's true. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of our country and the countrymen and a great service, Ted Ligety announces retirement after a golden 17 year career. Man, love that guy. <laughs> Two time Olympic champion 
and Land Rover U.S. Alpine ski team athlete Teg Ligeti has announced his retirement, capping a storied 17-year career. He just announced this today and that he will stand in the start gate one final time on the world stage in the giant slalom at the FIS World Alpine Ski Championships in Cortina di Ampezzo, Italy, on February 19th. my shoulder. It's where you broke your shoulder. That's I'm why that place. I still got the... Uh... Imagine if Ted breaks his shoulder there too. You guys would be like blood shoulder brothers. Okay. In Cortina, you got to look up the hell's the guy's name? Stefano. Stefano ran the little sports bar on the corner that has August Diner beer. Go there. That's where mention Mario and Harry, and he will know who you're talking about. <laughs> you guys, you guys put the day. town on fire pretty much. Every day. That's right. Yeah. So this article talks about you know, just kind of his legacy. And he was a notably late bloomer. He surprised even himself when he struck gold at the 2006 Torino Olympic Games in the Alpine combined. Little did he know at the time he'd go on to be one of the most influential figures in the sport of Alpine ski racing, reaching legend status. Never wanted to pigeonhole himself into a single discipline. Ligeti is proud to have podiumed in all major FIS ski world cup events throughout his career, including slalom, giant slalom, alpine combined, super G and downhill. So his career was so unconventional that his first world cup victory came after his first Olympic gold medal. That's so funny. Damn. That happened on March 5th, 2006 at young South Korea. The day after he slept through his alarm and missed the first of two World Cups at the venue. Hmm. And he was a game changer in the sport. He redefined the discipline of giant slalom. So much so that the New York Times wrote about him in 2014. No skier in the world carves turns the way Ligeti does. The American has practically invented a new way of skiing, and it was true. Ligeti was winning races by seconds in a sport typically decided by mere hundredths of a second. His skiing was an art form that everyone studied when the International Ski Federation changed the rules, including side cut and ski length in 2012, Ligeti pushed back hard in an article entitled Tyranny of FIS. But he didn't only push back for himself. He pushed back for the sport of alpine ski racing. Very cool. So, yeah, he kind of, you know, launched an assault and he he wanted to because, you know, you watch him skiing at his peak and you see how low he got. I mean, it was, it was really defying of physics. It was unbelievable. Well, I like how he fought back against uh, FIS because those organizations, as, as much as you don't think they do, they actually will be, you know, they do keep track of the sport in a way that they can actually control kind of what, who the advantage goes to. Yeah. They also have a history of trying to screw over Americans. Right. That's a fact. Right. So, so they can try to change rules. It's legitimate to change the rules. They change them in a way that kind of, they can guide who is on top and who, you know, who, who has a a better advantage if, if they want. Very interesting to see that. Yeah. And if you didn't know, Ligeti also started the company shred, which makes helmets, Sunglasses, gloves, outerwear. They do mountain biking stuff too. 
he started that back in 06. So he's use focus. code bum shred 15. <laughs> bum 15. <laughs> Don't do nothing will happen if you use nothing that. will happen. Use code high flutin ski bums and, <laughs> and you will get 0% off. So he's got three sons and a business he's going to be focusing on. So he's definitely going to be kept busy. He's still going to be doing some, some mentoring with American skiers, Tommy Ford, Ryan Cochran, Siegel, and now up and comer river Radimus, you know, Ligeti has been had a big role kind of helping these, these young guns improve and he's going to keep doing that. So he's certainly going to be busy. It's, it's always sad when someone skiers do after they retire, right? It's kind of, you know, has that been keeping you up at night? Thinking about that. <laughs> well, cause you know, like, you know, baseball players and football players, they make a, a crap ton of money. So you, you think, okay, they're just kind of either going to just hang out till they run out of money. Cause they made really bad investments or they do some kind of thing here and there, but some of them just kind of save their money and they live off it and just kind of hang out, do reality show or something like that. Yeah. Well, so Lindsay, I wonder, Lindsay yeah. just, uh, you know, she, was doing commentating now for NBC sports. Bodie does commentating. They all tend to, to get into the, some sort of product in the ski world too. You know, yeah. they're making a ski or goggles or outerwear or something. The big names, you know, the regular folks, that's, that's a Wonder. lot tougher. Do you become bag and gross working at the local Walmart? <laughs> I don't think it's quite that bad, but <laughs> I think a lot of them end up working at resorts. You know, look at, look at Tommy Moe, our boy, sure. you know, he's working at Jackson hole. Yeah. You know, a lot of them, a lot of them probably go and become mountain ambassadors at their local Hills or Johnny ski instructors. Yeah. Long careers of that. They, they find something. Yeah. That's for sure. Tommy Moe. Tommy Moe. Johnny Mosley. Mosley. Yeah. <laughs> See, he's got- look at this. You're finding jobs. For- you know what? If you are a former professional or Olympic skier, and you want to be an intern for this podcast, uh, perhaps dude. that could be your next venture. Skibumpodcast at gmail.com. And if you bring your sponsors to us, we'll let you keep your sponsors. How about that? There you go. You, you get paid by your sponsors and then just be on our show. That that works. Yes. And you can give us any of your retreads, any of the things you didn't like from your sponsors. Exactly. We, we can make this work. So what do we do as retired podcasters? Do you ever retire? We, we ski. <laughs> we do the opposite. Mosley was a skier and then he became a podcaster. We're going to be podcasters <laughs> retire. and retire and become skiers. That's right. Ipso We're facto. Topsy turvy. We topsy turvy this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. All right. On a, on a more solemn note, there's been a lot of stuff going on with avalanches this year. And, and even I was telling Brian while out in snow basin, there was, um, they were they were still blowing parts of the mountain for avalanche and it was due to the crap snow that fell in in Thanksgiving. So I think that's that's happening in a lot of places where you just get these crazy these crazy layers of, of crap snow in there. If it's not in a controlled area, I mean a controlled area it's bad enough, but when you're skiing backcountry, it's even scary because it's uncontrolled. So that crap layer is staying there and it's kind of upping the I don't know if it ups the percentage of occurrence or the level of danger for the avalanche, but it's there. Three skiers are found dead. They were with a group of, I think this article said there was about seven of them that got buried. 
between Silverton and Orphir in Colorado. So they were out there in the in a skiing back country and there's a large avalanche more than two miles above sea level that they accidentally triggered while backcountry skiing. So they said four people were caught up in the avalanche when they were carried and then buried by the tumbling ice and snow. Some other people helped dig them out. Four got buried, one got dug out, and the three were, were dead. When they finally uncovered them, they found out they were under more than 20 feet of avalanche debris. Oof. So they got really deeply buried, which was just horrible. But it's terrifying. I tell you, I've seen a lot of video in the last few weeks of avalanches that people catch on, on film, and it's terrifying. Be careful. Yeah, they're saying that day the avalanche danger was considerable. That was the level it was at. It's horrible when it happens. And, you know, it happens all the time, unfortunately. And, you know, you, you don't know what, you know what those folks were thinking. And, you know, you, you, you feel bad for them and their families. But it's, unfortunately, it's the game, you know, we all play and love. And being yeah. out there in the snow and, you know, out in the backcountry, it's, it's a different world. And, you know, you really got to be super on top of things and paying attention. And even if you are, sometimes it's, you can still get in trouble. You never know what the, the folks above you are doing. Ugh, condolences to them, to the families and do what you got to do to be smart and safe out there. It's a tough year. Just be careful. Be extra careful this year, I would say. And it... Well, one thing you can do if you do want to go out in the backcountry and maybe you're traveling is you want to take the new Elon Voyager ski with you. And why would you do that, Brian? Well, the good folks at Elon decided that we need a fully functional folding all-mountain ski. What? Indeed. You can fold it up so small that it fits in Glen Plague's mohawk. That's how uh, small it gets. <laughs> man, you could chuck it in your luggage, your regular luggage. Yeah. It combines easy transportation with exceptional performance. So foldable skis are not themselves a new creation. Many brands have tried to get the idea of a folding ski off the ground. However, finding a folding ski that actually performs as well as a non-folding option has always seemed an almost impossible task until the Elon Voyager, that is. Previous concerns levied at foldable skis have called into question the ski's stability, power, and performance. Elon, through years of fine-tuning and technology, have managed to solve each of these issues, creating a ski that will happily tackle on even the most demanding of conditions with absolutely no compromise on performance. Hmm. And this has been done through their revolutionary new Connect technology, which makes folding skis easy and efficient for transport without sacrificing performance on the slopes. Now, the Connect technology works by utilizing a highly advanced four-axis mechanism that bonds and seals the ski together at the folding joint. The carbon-reinforced fusion plate serves as a load-bearing platform for support working with the access to ensure impressive torsional rigidity. Hmm. The result is a folding, easily transportable ski that offers the same superior ski performance as any of Elon's all-mountain offerings. It features Elon's highly popular Amphibio technology, a revolutionary ski design that 
integrates both rocker and camber profiles into dedicated left and right skis. So you remember I tried those when we were in Killington? The other I demo do day? remember that. Yes. You did and not like them. <laughs> I tell you what, I didn't like them on the, on the onset because it seems like they worked really well, but you got to, you would have to change the way you ski a little bit. Yeah. And they, it was really cool. And I tell you, Elon, I didn't realize how like technically work the ski, the skis they make are, but it was really kind of cool. I got to say, I didn't, I didn't hate the technology. It was just that the skis were a little, little strange. Yeah. So one thing about this, that's super interesting is that the binding what it does is it detaches from the ski. There's like a pivot on the there. Pivots on it, right? So you, it comes off, I guess, in the back. Pivots. You fold the ski, and then you fold the whole binding to the front. That's sweet. You can yeah. fit that. You can fit that in a suitcase. You could keister it if you really wanted to. If I you were motivated can. enough. Like I'm looking at my skis now. If you're not on super crazy long ones, like the DPS are long, like because mm-hmm. they got that low, you know that. That shovel, shovel, yeah, yeah, that doesn't even contact. But like, if you had a normal size pair of skis, you almost could fit that in a pair of luggage or just carry it on, carry it on the plane, stick it down your pants. Stick it, yeah. That's that's. Is that you happy to see me, or is that a pair is of that skis a Voyager in, your in your pants? Yeah, those they're are my gonna, Voyagers in the pants. They're only going to have three lengths: one sixty, one sixty six, and one seventy two. So yes, yeah, like you said, not going to be super long. Yeah, but. You know, this could be one of those things that perhaps it starts a trend. Unlikely not. Maybe it's gimmicky. I don't know. I like that they're doing something different. At least they're they're making the effort. If this is your depends on your lifestyle. Like there's a very certain person this ski is for, and for that person, this is perfect. See, like if you have to go to the office and then you're gonna go to the roof uh, of your office, catch your helicopter to go out skiing. These are really handy because you carry right. them in with your briefcase and your, you know, your wall street journal and your, you know, your cup of Starbucks and you walk in and you, you know, then you walk upstairs, boom, you're out on the mountain. Like unfold. I said, if you're the right person, this thing is absolutely perfect for you. Think of how close we're getting to like, go, go gadget, everything. Right. We will all be Inspector Gadget in 15 to 20 years. That's right. We got right. folding skis. We got like crazy stuff. I still want the uh, instant rollerblade shoes. Ah, oh, those, those are just Heelys, just high tech Heelys. <laughs> That's right. It just there's, there's got to be like a like a Tesla version of Heelys. Dude, when Heelys were out, I was so amazed at them. I wanted to get a pair, but I was like, I'm too old for them. Like, those are kids' <laughs> shoes. And like, you see these kids just zipping on them. And I'm like, this is incredible. This is like what I dreamed about when I was a little kid. Just shoes that you press a button and boom, you got like wheels on them. You're good to go. <laughs> if you're the right person, grab some Voyagers. I think you'll be pretty happy. They're pretty cool. So that is going to lead us to our main topic, which we have teased and talked about already a few times today. We had the wonderful opportunity to chat with Eric Wilbur. He is the editor of the New England Ski Journal. He is a high school journalism teacher, and he's also the co-author of 30 Years in a White Haze with Dan Egan. And we sat down, we had a great conversation about the book, about skiing right now, and we think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So here he is, Mr. Eric Wilbur. All right, and we have a very special guest this week. We have Eric Wilbur, sports columnist for Boston.com. 
editor of the New England Ski Journal, high school journalism teacher, and co-author of 30 Years in a White Haze with some guy named Dan Egan. Eric, <laughs> welcome. Thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. This is uh, fantastic. I know we've kind of been trying to make this happen for a few weeks now. And, yep. you know, life has, uh, has been interesting for everybody the last few weeks, you especially. So you mentioned you uh, tested positive for COVID. How yeah. are you feeling right now? Uh, feeling okay. You know, the most of the, the symptoms have kind of cycled through. Now it's just a matter of, um, you know, a little draggy, a little achy, but, you know, luckily nothing too serious. Um, it, it was last weekend, I kind of felt some chills and I just went for a test because, you know, I didn't want to go into school and have the kids get sick. And, um, you know, the rapid test came back negative. So I went in Monday and then Monday night, I found out that the PCP test uh, came out positive. So, and that meant I was in solo isolation for the next week. And, you know, that's what's PCP stand for. Not, not the other PCP, right? This is right. PCR, right? <laughs> PCR. Okay. So PCR. PCP test. Totally I got a test for PCP. Right. It came back positive. Like, woo. PCR <laughs> test. Yeah. That one came back positive. Um, what so, PCR so I've been spending a lot of time, you know, catching up. Is that up like an PCR antibody PCR. test or something? Yeah, I think so. Yep. Okay. It's where they stick the Q-tip up your nose. Oh, um, all right. Luckily, not like they did, you know, a year ago where they were jamming it way back there. Those into those your brain, pretty much checking your brain. Yeah. Um, this one's just a, you know, they quick, they just go in quick, they take it out, and then they tell you 24 hours later you got COVID and you ain't moving from your bedroom, and your whole family has to sit at home, and um, wow. it's not the best experience, but it's also, you know, God bless my wife because she's the one downstairs taking care of the kids who are complaining <laughs> that they can't go here. They it's can't a good go way to get a vacation. You're saying. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm stuck and I'm watching TV a lot of the time. I've got a lot of work to do, and it's it's quiet. Uh, in, in a perfect world, it wouldn't be my my most ideal situation. But um, you know, luckily, like I said, it's I can only ask the symptoms aren't as bad as as uh, they could be in the in the first place. And do you have a nice window to watch the snow falling out of? <laughs> I do. Yes, it's right here. I've kind of I've kind of <laughs> got the blinds down right now because it was a little depressing the other day. Yeah. Um, here and there was you know, 18 inches of snow at Wachusa and here I was oh. stuck in bed. Um, a little frustrated. It's a perfect metaphor for the ski season pretty much, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. It's perfect. <laughs> it's just one thing after another. There's another bump in the road here or there. Um, you know, I, I'm an eternal optimist when it comes to skiing, you know, otherwise I have no optimism whatsoever. But when it comes <laughs> to skiing, I'm an eternal optimist and I have this faith that come second half of February, come March, you know, th there's going to be a tide turned. I, I feel like state borders are open. We'll be able to go to Vermont and we'll be able to go to New Hampshire and come back without quarantining in Massachusetts. And all these state laws will get kind of loosened. That's the hope. The reality. Kind of like I'm Howard Dean that. there for a second. It's like, we're going to New Hampshire. Oh, we're going no. to Vermont. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> that's the dream uh you know i've actually been pretty amazed how knock on wood good things have been in the ski industry because you know when yeah. we were kind of rolling in in november december people were like oh my god what's it gonna be like are people gonna get sick are resorts gonna get shut down and there was a story um at hunter mountain in new york i know they had some patrollers that got sick and they shut yeah. down for a couple days and then there was a story recently about jackson hole not about anything actually shutting down, but a lot of people getting sick. But mm -hmm. it seems like it's a bit of a different vibe there where people are like 
flying their private jets in and then going and skiing and then possibly getting COVID and going, getting care somewhere else. Um, but they said Teton County is one of the heaviest COVID counties in the entire country. Yeah. Which, has been for almost a year now too. Right. Um, I, I think so. Funny. I talked to Tom day this morning, uh, the general manager of uh, Gunstock in New Hampshire and Gunstock was one of the mountains last year that well they're a privately owned mountain you know owned by the by the state and they were one of the last mountains to close uh after march was it march 13th 14th mm-hmm. um and they underwent a lot of criticism in this area uh from certain people on the internet about how they it's irresponsible that they stay open blah 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 bunch of trolls on the internet just yeah, it was, yeah. It was pretty much i think them and i think waterville stayed open and waterville obviously um run by chris Sununu. um you know and when i was talking to tom this morning there was a, a a message in his voice that kind of said like you know look we realize that everything is good everything's fine everyone is safe we're reminding people to wear their masks uh and he kind of referenced to last year at that point where they stayed open and they didn't really know what they were dealing with but at the same time they weren't just i don't know what the what the phrase not cowering and shutting it all down right and i think there's something admirable about that that they understood that skiing was one of the industries that could kind of survive in this pandemic we're, we're seeing it now, but I think right. at that point it was so early on in the game that nobody knew, you know, one, one wrong move. And then it could mean you know, horrific numbers, you know, no one really knew. Um, but I think he does have a sense of pride that Gunstock took that initiative in the first place last spring, trying to stay open for as long as I could. Yeah, that's that was a bit of bravery, too. right? Yeah, because it's, yeah. it's so easy to get caught up in the mob wave. It's like, well, everyone's doing this. We have to do this too. Right. And, well, and then there's shaming that goes on. So if you don't, then you start getting trolled and shamed that why you're open. Well, you know, well, we're safe. So why wouldn't we be open, right? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Now everybody, I think, is being overly safe. Which lots of shaming over that. I remember I was at Okemo, um, the final day of the season. You know, my family was up there. I was doing a story on um, some renovations they had, they would, were going to do, they did. Um, and that was the day that I saw J Peak had closed. And I was like, what, is, what are they doing? What's going on? And I remember my, my friend, Alex Kaufman, who runs the um, Wintry Mix podcast, he said, you know, get ready for it. This is going to happen everywhere. And I kind of laughed at him. Like, yeah, right. Okay. Wow. Come to find out a couple hours later, I find out from Vale that all Vale resorts are closing and uh, we are not skiing on that Sunday. We're just going to kind of hang out and go to Rutland and grab some lunch. Um, and it was just this crazy. Excuse me, I think. <laughs> um, Great ringtone. Yeah, it's good ringtone. Like events that was like, I, I couldn't believe it, you know, and it was like we were all in the same boat together. But to be there and, you know, staying slopeside and look up at the hill that you're not going to be seeing that day unless you hike it uh, was just real yeah. surreal. Yeah, I was actually at Okemo the week weekend before that. Uh, uh-huh. A friend of ours has a, a place up there. And, you know, uh, I remember I went to Mountain in Maine Friday night and I was having a drink at the bar there and there was some some chatter. You know, everyone's kind of chatting about coronavirus. And one girl's like, oh, I'm in, I'm in, you know, I'm a some sort of scientist and she was actually going over it and like, Oh, you know, everything should be okay. We should be fine. We'll figure this out. And <laughs> you kind of think about that. And then the next day I skied at Okemo, went to Tom's loft 
had wonderful nachos. There was no soap in the bathroom. (laughs) Fast forward two days later, I got the flu, the worst I've had it in like probably since I was like a teenager. And back then that was like, Oh my God, do I have Corona? What do I have? I actually tested positive for flu a, Um, and I I was out for three days. I was done. Now, granted, I was skiing. I skied magic on Friday. I skied chemo Saturday, a lot of beers, not a lot of sleep, a lot of driving, but I was out for those three days. And then my uh, wife and uh, baby got it back in December. I tested negative. So Mm -hmm. my wife has a theory. Now she's an English major. So, you know, I don't know how much <laughs> there's no science put into this. No science into this. Uh, she's like, well, you probably have antibodies from when you were on when you had the flu, and then right. you when you recovered. So I'm like, maybe I don't know. Maybe. But I, I swear to God, it was Tom's loft where I got that flu. I have no doubt in my mind. It could have been Corona. I have I don't because I didn't they didn't test for it back in no. March. Right. I mean, if they did, there was one like we talked about, like the stuff that way up into your brain. And that was like, the flu no. test. The yeah. flu test was up the nose. Yeah. Oh, really? What would you have oh. to test for antibodies to see if you had it at all? But they only stay in your system for a certain amount of time too, right? I think, I, yeah, I don't know how long that is. Again, this is not a science podcast, obviously. <laughs> um, but yes, I mean, and you know what the thing is? Like, I cannot wait to go back to Okimo and go to Tom's Loft again with yep. hand sanitizer because that place is a, a treasure. That place well, is you are eating. It's a classic Apre bar. It's like, if you look up Apre bar in the dictionary and you want a picture, you know, as cliche as it is, that's the kind of place you want. You know, that yep. Red Park, a pub in, in New Hampshire. Um, so very select. I mean, there are dozens of great apparate places all throughout New England, but there are a select few that you walk in, you're like, Mwah, like perfect. <laughs> this is what I wanted. Yeah. Well, Brian, uh, we do have a little science. You are eating beef liver chips now. So, dude, this, you believe I believe that's the cure. I believe this is my cure all for everything <laughs> now. I have these beef liver, it's dehydrated beef liver with sea salt. That's all it that is. That sounds good. Oh, it's, it's, if you were a Labrador, this would be your favorite food. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's gross, but I, I honestly feel like this is what's get keeping me going, keeping me strong, keeping me healthy. Again, now, no my, science involved. Now, my wife found the same, I think the same brand, the same thing in pill form, so you don't have to taste the disgusting liver chips. <laughs> but he insists he doesn't want to do that, so. Dan Egan actually sent me, last night I talked to him, he sent me this link to this drink, uh, R Met X, the immune support solution. And yeah. uh, he told me that uh, if I buy this and drink it, it'll help with my COVID. He said he heard that uh, they had it in a hospital and that nine out of the 10 uh, women that were sick didn't have it. And the one that did lived. Um, wow. So I was like, okay, Dan, I'll, I'll, buy, I'll check that out. And uh, I go to buy it or at least look to see how much it is. And it's uh, $79 a bottle. So I think, wow. I think I'll do a little more research on, on Dan's background here to see exactly what he knows about this product before I go dropping 80 bucks on a bottle of God knows what. It's wow. like, Dan, could I maybe use your card for a case yeah. of this? <laughs> That's funny. Well, we'll get into Dan in a little bit because uh, okay. we have a lot to chat about with that. But what is the biggest thing that you've seen? That's been different. I mean, granted, there's been so much different this season. How about you personally? What have you seen that's been so different from last season? Um, you know, for me, it's the inability to cross those state lines and to to easily go to Vermont um, and to easily go to New Hampshire. You know, we can go into New Hampshire, but as Massachusetts residents, we have to quarantine when we get back. Um, and as a teacher, it's not really conducive, you know, since I'm going in the building four days a week to do that. Um, and I can't, 
you know, even though it's a part-time gig, I can't just tell them like, look, my other part-time job is traveling and skiing. Um, there really has to be some sort of balance there to, you know, make everybody understand. Um, so, you know, the difference this year has been that, that freedom has really been cut down. You know, we've got plans for Vermont and, you know, we've canceled one weekend. We're going to have to, you know, look at canceling another weekend. Um, in New Hampshire, well, even right? if you do get there, right there, then there's the whole ticketing system, which is another logistical right, piece. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, I mean, we have reservations at at Stowe, um, and it it's it's disheartening every time I look at my Epic Pass and after you know, cancel, cancel, mm-hmm. cancel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do they ding you for canceling too many times or something? I don't think so. No, I think they they ding you for not showing up for a no show. Okay, yeah. Um, it does tick me off sometimes too, though, because I feel like I have too much respect for the state of Vermont to, you know, I went to school there. I basically grew up there. Um, I have too much respect for the state to ignore their request. Right. And I know too many people in that state to say, Hey, I'm here for the weekend and I didn't really quarantine or anything like that, but screw that because it's me. Um, right. And I know that other people aren't doing that. You know, I, I have a colleague that went to a chemo last weekend and I saw him the day before he left clearly not quarantining. I have a high school friend that was at Mount snow over the weekend with his daughter and the day before he was in Maryland. Right. So it's like, obviously you're not, you're not doing the right thing there. Um, and for me, you know, like my, my dad told me, he's like, just go ski and don't write about it. But on the other hand, it's like, I can't do that. You know, one, my wife would kill me Two, It's like, <laughs> I just have too much at stake here that I can't, um, you know, not follow the rules, get fined and then get in trouble with, you know, someone else. And now that I, I've, I've had the, the virus, yeah, it would be, you know, completely disingenuous of me to, to go and do that and to, and to, cross state lines without doing the necessary work. Um, so my only hope, my hope, my, not my only hope, my hope is that some of these laws get lessened, um, that Massachusetts at least takes off the cramps on returning from New Hampshire or Maine so we can get up there and uh, do some skiing up there. Um, you know, but for now, it's it's Wachusett and Berkshire East that are in the plans for February vacation come up uh, in 10 days. And, um, you know, hopefully the state of Vermont, I'm not faithful that's going to open up by the spring. Um, but summer's good. You know, I, if I can spend a summer day in, in the Green Mountain State, um, that's second best to ski. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And you, you mentioned Stowe and, you know, Vermont. Have you heard kind of officially or unofficially, like, how are the resorts doing financially? Because I know, you know, I, I know when we talked to um, Adam, Adam White from Ski Vermont back mm-hmm. in November, he was yep. saying that 80% of their visits come from out of staters. So, you got to think they've they've got to be taking some sort of hit. And I know in the call with Ski Vermont and all the resorts, they were saying that they all the resorts are pretty much happy if they get close to breaking even. Like, have yeah. you heard anything about how they're how they're doing? No, I think basically what I heard is what you heard from Adam. You know, the fact that eighty percent is out of state. Um, the fact that Christmas week was a complete disaster for the state of Vermont because of one the weather and two mm-hmm. the travel restrictions. Um, it's the, the the thing that frightens me, and this is not this is not an original idea. This is someone brought this up um, in response to something I wrote recently. What's to keep them staying open after February break, right? If you're not making that much money 
and you don't really have a lot of business coming in March or April, which is basically your spring months when you've got the party scene going on and all these events that aren't going to necessarily happen this year, why would you stay open? Uh, so uh, so really they have bands and they have the fun events on the mountain and uh, like those are obviously going to get all exactly. canceled. Pond skimming, the mogul challenge at Killington, like all that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. So what's the point of staying open really? Right. Mm. Wow, How long will some mountains do it? Now I know some will do it better than others. Um, I wouldn't expect Vale to open, you know, Vale has, has this cut off shut off date anyway at their spots. And they're going to adhere to that if not earlier. Um, you know, I think the independently independently owned places, maybe. Uh, I think you'll see Jay go longer. Um, maybe plays like Magic, um, Saddleback, clearly, as long as the snow's there. Um, mm-hmm. Even Sunday River and, and Sugarloaf. They may have their seasons extended into March, April, beyond for all, you know, we can hope and pray. But I do think there is that, that um, cause for concern that a lot of these places are going to shut down uh, a lot earlier than they might normally just because the business is not going to be there as it normally is during the normal year. Yeah. yeah and they still have the same expenses, if not more now with yep. the, a lot of the restrictions and the sanitizing and all the, the well, extra COVID related expenses on top of the normal expenses of running an operation, which is not cheap. Exactly. Well, and then, not and then they're all having years, but I think that that could be the way we're looking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're all having problems with uh, getting workers too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then the local towns, they get hurt if they close early because now everybody's out of work, you know, because you're employing the local people rather than, you know, the people on Visa generally. Yeah, it's it's, it's you, you, gotta effect, it to Vermont. Yeah. you know, Vermont um, ski areas have done, you know, they've really taken on the chin. And I mean, they understand what they need to do and that those those state borders are closed unless you go through the proper protocols. Um and you would think that the ski areas would be up in arms and arguing the point, um, but they've done just the opposite. I think that they, as a as a whole, kind of understand that they're doing this for the greater good. And you know, I, I talked to Lindsay Delorier um, a couple months ago about Bolton Valley and how they were going to uh, to to do this, right? And I think what Bolton has going for it in this case is that it's one, it's a local mountain. Right. It's not exactly your your big destination mountains. So they're not where 80 percent of Vermont um, ski business may be out of state. Maybe it's only 20 percent at a place like Bolton, you know, with a, with a small hotel and um, really close to Burlington. So I think in their case, like they may be OK. Uh, a place like they I just said maybe they'll stay open later. But then again, you know, with 50 percent of your business is from Canadians and they can't cross the border either. Uh, mm. That's going to be an interesting to, thing to say too. So yeah, I, I guess the indie places have less of a fall off. And if the bigger ones close, then it, they, they might get some of the overflow. They might. Right? Yep, they might. Yeah. Absolutely. Hmm. It's almost like a, like a chicken and egg thing. We're going to be waiting to see how it plays out. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to think like Jay on a powder day right now must be incredible oh, because yeah. again, you're not getting all those filthy Canadians coming in and all the people from Jersey coming up, you know? So it's, I'm sure it must be just like 10 times better than it usually is. Yeah. I can only imagine. It'd be great to get there. Um, maybe next year. Yeah. And you wonder too, you know, you know, it's now you were saying Eric, that you're an optimist when it comes to skiing. That was a very pessimistic little, <laughs> little <laughs> know, statement well, there. It, it, it sneaks in sometimes. 
it's you're being a realist and, I, and that's awesome. But you kind of wonder too, like, you know, with the vaccine getting out there now more and, mm-hmm. and you said, like we talked about, you know, Christmas week was a disaster because of the rain. And then, you know, the resorts are, are maybe at the point where they're like, listen, let's just March 1st, let's just open up and let anyone come in because someone will get, va- we'll get vaccinated. We'll get through this herd immunity, something like, let's just get people on the mountains again. Like it could go either way. It seems yeah. like at this point, like nothing, there's almost no path defined for us. Like what's going to happen next. Right. Well, one of the big problems, like, so I looked into going to J peak this year, uh, and it just wouldn't work out. And I actually called them cause I was like, you know, I'm looking at, you know, stuff online and looks like it's open, but then it was hard to book a room. So I called them up and they're like, no, we have rooms open, but there's really nothing, no amenities open. So you can come up here, but then there's no places to eat. There's no places to do anything. And yeah, you can ski, but then there's the quarantine. There's all the other, you well, know, water slides. Yeah. What, like that stuff was, I think they said it was closed, but it was, opening at like a limited percent so it's just yeah it's a lot of things going on it's really tough and it's it's even tougher to you know there are so many different rules at different mountains and different uh, protocols in different states and it's like it's a headache just trying to get through that um where do i make reservations how far in advance do i have to do it uh all of that is just it's it's taking it's not taking the fun out of ski season but it is putting an extra dynamic in it that uh, we can only hope is going to go away sooner than later. Extra well, level places complexity. Are, yeah. yeah. And most places are drawn local because, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the boat where I have to travel. So I have to book a hotel and flight to go. And if it's not going to happen, you know, or I could get there and not get a lift ticket for the day and just, what am I going to do? Sit in the hotel, you know, right. yeah, there's exactly. nothing open. So, you know, I can't even just ski, you know, <laughs> I think, I think part of it too is, you know, it's, it's really noble what you're doing in terms of actually following the rules and, and being, yeah. you know, doing what you're supposed to do. I think, I think part of the problem might be is this whole idea of quarantining. Like, you know, you're supposed to be like, what is it? What, I think it's defined as being at home and not leaving your home. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think people are getting a little bit creative in their definition of quarantining. They're like, it's well, I was kind smart. of smart. I was in the same state. So I guess exactly. I'm quarantined. Yep. Like that's exactly. cool. Right. I think they want to go to the gym they four days a system. week. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's nothing you want to be able to say. It. I wish I weren't as noble as, as I, as I uh, <laughs> am, but you know, it is just, um, my, my wife's in HR and she, uh, has to deal with people not listening to her all the time. And if I'm <laughs> yeah. the person, I'm in big trouble. So, um, I, I just think, you know, it's tough to go to those places and see your friends and especially in Vermont and say, you know, Hey, I'm here long time. No see. And they're like, Oh, cool. You quarantined. You got your test. And I'm like, no. And it just yeah. shows a complete lack of respect for people that I have too much for. Um, yeah. so in that case, it's just wait and see. And when I can go, I can go. Yeah. Especially people yeah. that trust you, right? Like they're trusting that you That's did the right exactly. thing and you, you're kind of letting them down if you don't. Well, you know, when it comes to quarantining, it's all about finding ways to to maximize the time and and find something positive you can do at that time. Now, you, as you mentioned earlier, uh, your friend Dan Egan, you guys wrote a book and took advantage of this uh, quarantine time. And we spoke to Dan a few weeks ago. You know, he's a phenomenal guy, just, you know, fascinating person, as you obviously know. Mm -hmm. So how did you get involved on this book, 30 Years in a White Haze? You know, I've I've done a few stories on the Egan's in the past when I was in Boston.com and the Boston Globe. 
Um, and there was always this fascination with their stories, right? From both John and Dan. Um, just crazy. The things that you didn't see on film or the things you did see on film and the backstories behind them. Um, and fast forward to about 2016, I just uh, left Boston.com uh, full time. Um, I still work for them. I still write for them. But as far as a full-time basis, it was time to move on and do something different. Um, so I took a buyout and I was kind of, you know, looking around for extra freelancing opportunities. And uh, the idea of the book came into my mind. So I got in touch with Dan. Uh, this was around right after they just got inducted in the hall of fame and uh, reached out to him and, you know, wanted to find out what his interest was. And he responded to me with an outline he'd already done. Um, it was very raw. It was very um, not put together very well, uh, but it did have bits and pieces that I thought were aha, uh-huh, aha. Uh-huh. Like he mentioned uh, growing up in Boston, and he mentioned the ski market part of it. He mentioned, um, you know, the the fact that he was a general manager at Tenney Mountain, and it had these little bits and pieces that I could see were workable. Um, and he said, you know, let's talk about it. And we never did. You know, we went kind of back and forth, back and forth. Uh, hey, you're free. You're free. Let's meet up. And then finally, um, I think it was November or December of uh, 2019, uh, he contacted me. And he said, We're, let's meet in this day and talk about this book. And it was kind of the right time. And we sat down. And I think what I envisioned was, you know, I don't know what I envisioned. Something wild and wacky from the Egan brothers, right? And sitting down with Dan that first day and him telling me about his struggles um, and his uh, religion and his family and his the, the time getting lost in Elbrus and how that really impacted his life, his divorce and his bankruptcy. Um, and really in that two hours just sitting with him and seeing a completely different side of this man. Um, I remember walking out of the restaurant, calling my wife and saying, I have to write this because it was just too fascinating to let go. Um, there was too much there to, uh, not really filter through. And so, you know, I started that weekend and wrote the, the prologue and sent it off to him and away we kind of went, you know, it just went bit by bit and, uh, sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly. Uh, depending on where Dan was and how easy it was to get a hold of him. Uh, but, you know, the finished product, I think, is uh, it's a testament to Dan and, and how fascinating his life has been. Uh, it really has been a joy to, to tell that story. That's really cool. Yeah. One of the things that he kind of talked about when we were chatting with him about it is that he was talking about how originally it was a first person point of view, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you kind of came in and, and said, let's let's change this to a, a third person point of view. Yep. I don't even know how I did that. You know, it was, <laughs> Jedi mind I, trick. I wrote the prologue in the, in the third person and I remember sending it off to him. And this was actually uh, MLK weekend of 2019. I remember it very clearly. It was early in the morning when I wrote this thing and I sent it off to him and I didn't hear from him for maybe a week. And of course, my mind goes, oh, he hates it. He doesn't like it. <laughs> this is over. I got to find a new subject for a book. And um, it wasn't that at all. Like he loved it. And in fact, when I suggested last last year, uh, when we were just kind of finishing up things, I said, why don't we take the prologue and scrap it and put something else in there to kind of introduce the book? And he yelled at me. He was like, are you kidding me? That's the best part. So I was like, all right, thank you. But 
I think in writing that prologue, third person, I just kind of went along with it, right? And I think in the end, I, I figured if we want to do first person, we'll just shift it. But what happened was I think Dan really liked that third person because he gets to step away. Um, even though he is integral in writing this book, it allows people to speak their minds like they're speaking to me and like they're not speaking to him. Um, right. That goes for business partners. Uh, that goes for you know his ex-wife who would never have you know spoken to Dan the way she spoke to me. Um, and that was a very – I think that's a good example because that was a special interview. In yeah, how did that go? Well, how did that how did that introduction happen? You know, it was funny because uh, I was talking to John um, at his house up in Vermont, and uh, we were. I was telling him who the subjects for the book were, and I said, "Yeah, and Mickey." And he's like, "Mickey," and I said, "Yeah." Said, Did you contact her yet? I said, "No," but you know, I'm gonna you know see if she's interested and sit down with her. And he looked and he laughed. He's like, "Good luck." Um, oh no! And, you know, yeah. it, I think it was just a matter of the right timing. You know that Mickey um, got back to me and she said, "You know, let's let's sit down and talk," um, because I think she had a lot in her mind that she, you know, after all this time, wanted to to let go of. You know, almost like a penance. Cathartic, yeah, yeah, it was cathartic. And I think we had a very good conversation, um, and she was very strong in that conversation. And I think she was um, she was honest and forthcoming, and you know, even to the point where, you know. Afterwards, she was emailing me and trying to, you know, it was her first language. So I used to, you know, when she says something either out of the board that may have get misinterpreted. Um, and she emailed me a couple of times afterwards to say, you know, um, to explain herself further. And that is a conversation that's not going to happen with Dan. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think in third person, it'll, it'll allow him to take a step back and just kind of let these other people around him. Um, whether it be family members or, you know, ex-wives or ex-business partners to really speak their mind. And that gives the book a real honest look at, uh, at Dan's life. Wow. And how did that, how did he respond when you showed him sort of, you know, cause did you actually like write the, the piece for the book and then present it to him? Or did you kind of give him like your raw notes from the conversations? No, I, I would write as uh, we went along and I would send it to him and it was well, not funny, but I could tell after that first experience of the, you know, sending me the prologue and not hearing back. Um, there were sometimes I'd hear back from Dan the day of. There were sometimes I'd hear back the next day. And then when it was an emotional piece, it may take a week or two because uh, he oh, wow. admittedly would would read it and his emotions would start swelling. Um, and that's not a testament to my, to my writing style, but that's a testament to, you know, him partially. To him, well, to him, bearing his soul, he'd have to process it and and kind of take it in too, because everybody talks about, but seeing it written is is a lot different too, right? You're seeing your life on paper now. You know, we had long conversations that I could tell weren't comfortable for him, Mm. Um, and I think when it got to to reading it, um, that style, I think, really got to him and and made him emotional in in the in the moment. So I could tell sometimes when a certain chapter either worked or was uh, really emotional for him. I probably wasn't going to hear from him for quite a while, so I might have done <laughs> something else. You like send it off. You're like, oh, this is going to be... I won't hear from him for two weeks on that yeah, one, right? exactly. <laughs> well, luckily, Dan goes to Valdezere every spring, and um, he didn't go last year because of COVID. 
And so he was mostly in New Hampshire uh, for most of the spring and most of the summer, which meant all the finishing touches we needed to put in this book, which was about halfway done at that point. Um, but his being here and being able to track him down was a godsend because if this were the normal Dan Egan schedule, uh, we may just still be finishing the book right now because Dan <laughs> ran. God only knows where he is at any moment of the year. Um, so in a way, COVID did help uh, kind of nail him down. For See, a there's a positive to COVID, right? Exactly. Yeah. Maximizing that quarantine time, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So uh, that, I guess some of those parts, like you mentioned, were really emotional. Was there anything that was like almost too complex or, or too emotional or too hard that you, you just Off wanted limits, to do, but kinda. couldn't, couldn't yeah. get into the book? Um, the, the story of his divorce was a tough one to tell. Um, in fact, the way we told it, I'm still a little, I don't know. I, I think people have to read it and judge for themselves. Uh, it's, it's, it was a little not uncomfortable to write, but it was definitely, um, a part of the book where I think Dan had the hardest time to, to, to do it. And so I think writing that was also hard for me because I'm trying to, I don't know, like convey his feelings. And I think making m myself put myself in his feelings was kind of difficult. Um, and you want to were, paint him in a good light, obviously. Yes. Right. right of course. Um, there were a couple of things we cut out of the book where we wrote, I wrote for long stretches of time and we had to cut them out for reasons that just didn't work in terms of making people um, look in a certain light when they shouldn't be. Um, well, and that's the thing too. You're writing from from things that happen a while back, right? Exactly. And that's the other thing too, right? You look at it now, and you're like, "Well, was it really that that way, or is it just my interpretation now? How I see it was right." So, right. exactly. I guess that's always the slippery slope, right? Yep, exactly. So, I mean, uh, there weren't that many of those instances. Um, for the most part, what we discussed is in the book, um, but you know, it, it's it. Like I said, Dan is, is fascinating and, and I credit him for his ability to, to bear his soul and to uh, to really be honest with this book, because, you know, you read a lot of bit biographies and you end up rolling your eyes because it's. Yeah, um, it's also yeah. self and in, in grandizing, I guess. And right, so well, like, oh, my God, it's amazing. Coming out when in, in, in 2022, I believe. And I will. No, thanks. <laughs> like I can imagine. <laughs> how self-serving that book's going to be. Um, and I think that that was one of the biggest things I wanted to avoid is I didn't want to make this like every other biography where it's, um, you know, everything is great and look at my, look at me, I'm a champion. Um, no, because there has to be a heart to it that you really want to latch on to. Um, and that's kind of, like you said, people identify with that, you know, like the Rocky story, you know, when Rocky's yeah. a loser, he's got nothing. He's like, you know, fighting from nothing you you root for this guy you know exactly. like and because you can see yourself as that person when you have the lindsey vaughn stories like oh yeah i'm just dating this superstar and tiger was <laughs> picking me up on his plane for my knee injury and now I'm, i have 500 million instagram followers you're like all right we get yeah. it yeah. Exactly. Uh, i can't imagine what that yeah. one's gonna be like i'm gonna have to read it now just to see that said though her that hbo documentary on her was really good. that was really good yeah. it was really good it was fascinating that was, was really honest good. and i yep. love that that she was calling out all the coaches for like they just keep pushing you and pushing you to get more out of you for them for their you know for their benefit not for hers i can't remember who did the recent interview with her i think it was probably in november um 
oh, it's going to bug me. Who was that? And she was super catty about Michaela and about how oh, Michaela is yeah. solemn and doesn't do the downhill. And it's, it's not a, a real event. And it's like, wow, okay. Whoa. You're already preparing for when she bypasses you, huh? Um, now so for Michaela, even harder now. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch Michaela next week in the, in the World Championships when she does the, the downhill and the Super J, too. So, Graham Bensinger? Is that right? What's that? Graham Bensinger? Graham Bensinger. Graham? Does that Graham? sound right? For whom? Graham. For interview? Oh, interview? <laughs> so like, what are you talking about? I think, Sorry. Like, Todd Benziger, the former outfielder for the Red Sox. Um, <laughs> Graham Benziger, I do believe that's it. Yes. Yeah. I think that's it. yeah. It's worth a watch because she does get very catty in it. Wow. wow. Hey, it's there, right? It's yeah. under the surface for everybody, I'm sure. <laughs> hey, man, you know, we all we all get old. There's always a young buck waiting to replace us. So, yep, you know, exactly. same thing with her. You know, like her, her image was this, you know, amazingly talented, beautiful woman. And then there's another amazingly talented, beautiful woman coming up. Yep. Look at Brady so, this week. He's going to try to stick it to Mahomes, right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> Come on, yeah. young guns. You're not, you're not, <laughs> as, you're not as good as me. The goat. <laughs> So this was, uh, so when is this book going to be available? Because I know we, we talked about it before the podcast started. Originally yeah. it was supposed to come out last year, right? In it 2020? Was. Originally it was supposed to come out in 2019. That was Dan's uh, ultimate goal. And he's like, uh, I'm not that fast a writer. And um, extreme then, skiing, yeah. extreme writing. That's how he, how he does things. <laughs> so a lot of Red Bull. Ball, a ton of Red Bull. Um, we had some, you know, shifts in, in um, philosophies with the publisher. And so now it is, is officially March 9th. Um, March you know, 9th. Awesome. March 9th. You can order it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble now, uh, or you can go order it direct from Dan at, uh, white, white hayes.com. Um, it's, uh, it's exciting. You know, it's, uh, I, my family keeps asking me, when's the book coming out? When's the book coming out? When's the book coming out? And, uh, so to have that Amazon link that I can show them, like, see, it is there. It's not, <laughs> a um, oh, that's very really cool. Exciting. That's, that's so cool. And I'm excited to check it out. Now, are you guys going to do an audio book version as well? Yes, I believe so. Uh, Dan, Dan has taken the reins of all that. Uh, God bless him. You know, he's taken <laughs> the reins of talking to the publishers and dealing with the distribution and doing the audio book. Um, but I do believe that they're, I'm not sure if he's doing it. I would imagine that would make the most sense. Um, but yes, there will be an audible. Yeah, I know a lot of those. Uh, you know, audiobook, uh, the publishing companies, they don't like the authors to read it sometimes. Sometimes they want a professional voice actor to right, do it. Yeah. And I know like if, if someone wrote the book about their life, I'd want to hear it in their voice, not some yeah. like fancy California clown with some, you know, groovy <laughs> accent and deep yeah. voice, you know, yeah. like I want to hear the person talking about it. Right. Yep. Well, maybe that's what Perhaps. Yeah. But that'll be cool. That's, that'll be awesome. So March 9th, white-haze.com. Yep. People want more information. Um, is there anything else about the book that, that you want to tell us? Um, you know, I, I just think that it's very compelling that, you know, we, I, like I said, I sat down that first day with Dan and he told me about the Elbert story and, um, you know, him getting lost on that mountain is the, is the centerpiece of that book. And it really is a fascinating uh, account of, you know, something that, an expedition that really hasn't been um, chronicled that much. Uh, so to be one of the, the few people that has written about this um, from Dan's point of view is an honor. And uh, it's really, you know, it's kind of a fascinating look at, you know, one, what 
life was like back then with the uh, with the USSR. Um, and two, you know, it, the story of these two brothers that on film look like, you know, two peas in a pod. And they really do have a, a complicated relationship. Uh, one that I never understood until I started doing this book. And, um, you know, John, both John and Dan are, you know, phenomenal interviews. Um, the whole family was, was just so good to me and, and really open and honest to, in the way that Dan was. Um, I'm glad I got to talk to his mother before her passing last year. Um, she added so much to, you know, telling me about the history of the Egans. Um, it's just, it, it was a really fun book to write. Uh, and I'm kind of looking forward to the next one. Dan's already got one in the pipeline that I've got to work on. Um, but I'm looking forward to, you know, that that next subject that's out there. Um, hopefully they're as fascinating as Dan, but I don't think that can be the case. You, could you see yourself doing one with John after? It's crossed my mind. Uh, I would, you know, one, I'd have to have the most respected Dan, you know, to say, look, do you mind if I did this? Mm-hmm. Um, and two, you know, to see what John's, um, John has already told me he's, you know, naming it after Grateful Dead song. Um, so he does have <laughs> the, the pipeline of, of thoughts in his mind. Um, but it is a possibility, kind of one, one of those things I would cross the bridge when I come to it. Um, and John, you know, some sibling rivalry now. It's like you got a book, I got to get a book too. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's see how many how many sales did you get? Right, yeah, Dan's probably gonna gonna hog me for another book just to keep me up from going to Vermont. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you know, it, it's it's um, I've already got suggestions for other people that would be good to profile. Um, you know, the hope is that maybe when this book comes out, that a lot more of those come out because um, I, I realized that I always wanted to write a book. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I've always a book and you, write, you write the, the, the novel and you write up to a hundred pages. What am I doing? I don't, this is making sense. Um, and so, you know, being a journalist, it only made sense to go and, you know, tell somebody's story. And, uh, luckily I picked someone that was just fascinating and, uh, really excited for the book to come out for people to read it. Um, now let me ask you when you, uh, pick a publisher, right? You, you write the book and then you shop out publishers or did you kind of, you do well, that at the same I time? Wanted, that was, a a difference of, of opinion Dan and I had in the, in the beginning, I said, you know, let's shop this around, let's pitch it to different companies. Um, and that way we can get a real publisher. His thought process was no, let's publish it ourselves through, through uh, Deegan media, because that way we have full control of it. Um, mm, yeah. and what we've really done is he has, um, he's gotten us, um, a, a distribution through Ingram, which I guess is like the biggest distribution yeah. there is. Um, and they will print the book and Amazon will print the book. And then we have full control of where we sell it. Uh, so we okay. can talk to different bookstores or different online retailers and encourage them to go through Ingram because um, it doesn't cost you anything, right? You can return any unsold books. Not that there will be unsold books, but you know, you can. It's a big deal because no, they have to buy the, the inventory. There's no right. risk right for them. So that is a yeah. huge uh, step Very in cool. And Dan, Dan knows the business. I know zero about business. So I kind of just let him go, you know, cut me a check every four months and that'll be good enough for me. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, it's funny because when we talked to Dan, it was supposed to come out on February 15th. And I made the joke. I'm like, this is a perfect Valentine's Day gift. And if the person you're with thinks it isn't, then you're with the wrong person. Yep, exactly. So I guess maybe it's the perfect St. Patrick's Day gift. Or awesome. Ides of March gifts, you know. St. <laughs> Patrick's Day, that's a nice one, right? He's right. 
Chronicle. But yeah, but this is going to be really. I'm I'm super excited to check it out. Yeah, um, very cool. I know Mario, you are too. Yeah. Uh, just a couple couple follow up finish up questions here. So let's just say that everything goes back to normal. November 2021. Where's the first place you're going skiing next season? Oh boy. Um, you know what have I missed? Book sold I, two million copies. You got a blank check. Money and time are no options. Dan's right here. Blank you check. Well, you know, uh, we did get our, our trip canceled at Stowe last March. We've gotten one this March that's on the precipice of getting canceled. Uh, but we were also supposed to go to Montana next week for school vacation. Oh, oh nice. And, uh, you know, I think Dan holds a, a clinic in in December for um, for families and kids. And so, you know, I think maybe that would be it. Like, you know, let's get Very them cool. up there. Uh, that's nice. They, yeah. they are fascinated by Dan. Uh, my... My eight-year-old can't wait to read the book, and uh, I told her she can't because there's some f-bombs. But uh, <laughs> you can make a children's version, right? Oh, a a children's animated version. children's version. Yeah, and, uh, and so cornice, uh, cornice drop right? with them on film. But to be able to <laughs> ski with them, um, I think it would be a thrill. And you know, the one time I skied with Dan was at Park City, <clears throat> and uh, we were skiing with a friend of his from LA who hadn't skied in 20 years. So wow. we were skiing the the whole Bunny Trail. Uh, up up top there after the, the the gondola, and my wife called me and she's like, "Please be scared, careful skiing with Dan, okay? Don't follow him. I'm skiing the bunny hill with Dan. <laughs> um, no big deal. It's like just don't follow him. If he goes in the trees, don't follow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No big deal. I'm, I'm skiing. I'm literally skiing the bunny hill with Dan Egan. <laughs> That's cool. And then I got one more question for you. So you are, like you mentioned, a teacher, teaching mm-hmm. high school journalism. Yeah. What is your outlook on the future of, of journalism based on the kids that you've been teaching? Uh, it's bright, optimistic. It's brighter than a lot of people uh, think. Uh, I really do have a bright outlook. One, because of guys like you, you know, in podcasts, um, that are true journalism. Um, because if you flip on Netflix, how many documentaries are there and how much, you know, journalism goes into those. Um, I think that the traditional journalism is probably dead. You know, I haven't read a newspaper online and I don't know how long and I still write for one. So that's kind of, um, but I do think that people are doing a good job about taking journalistic backgrounds and journalistic tools and using them for new avenues. Um, the fact that podcasts aren't just a flash in the pan and that they're here to stay and that the advertising revenue is through the roof um, is a perfect sign for... We'd like to hear more about this through the roof for advertising <laughs> because that's what they got to get some of that through I, the I'm roof. I'm still in a Jersey basement. <laughs> you know, the publisher of, um, of New England Ski Journal keeps saying, you know, I want you to do a podcast. I want you to do a podcast. I'm like, dude, I, don't, I have about time to tie my shoes. Like I, I can't really... <laughs> dedicate myself to a podcast why build when you could just buy <laughs> i think we might be exactly. for sale we're for sale <laughs> <laughs> so but in that vein you know i do think that um even though advertising may not be through the roof uh there is potential for that and the fact mr. that mr Lindsay vaughn i mean people, people are doing podcasts right they're not doing them for no reason at all because it, i mean you guys may be doing it just because it's fun and not making any money but there are hundreds out there and I can't say that's the same reason for hundreds, right? So, um, and then you look at documentaries, you know, documentaries don't make a lot of money either. You know, journalism was never a make money profession. Uh, yeah. But I do think that there are enough avenues and enough different ways of using those tools right now going around. 
that journalism is not going to be dead. It's actually thriving if you look in the right. It's just morphing. Like you said, just it's kind of taking the the principles that were there, and yeah. it's it's now open to so many other people. I mean, you know. We met you at that that NASDAQ meeting at the Boston show a couple of years ago, yeah. and we're you know we're sitting there, like we had no idea what to expect at that meeting, and you know everyone starts their introductions and like oh yes I was an Olympic gold medalist and I worked for NBC for twenty three years I'm like yeah. um we're just a couple of assholes who started a podcast uh, how's it going I just, came, I just came back from a NASDAQ event that's where I was out west skiing oh you went and to that oh nice was it fun? i went to that one and i was like meeting all these people they're like yeah i was a producer for tv i was a you know a radio uh radio and tv host in you know tahoe like all these people <laughs> i'm like holy crap like you, you have real you know credentials real yeah. life like you know lifelong credentials of of doing like good work so it was yeah, it was interesting funny. to see and talk to them you meet some of the old timers in NASJA and they're the people you used to read in skiing, skiing magazine back in the eighties and nineties. And it's like, yeah. Um, wow. And, and they're, you know, one of the, the, one of my favorite people uh, used to be the president of NASJA. Um, and uh, she called me in the fall asking for advice. And I was like, well, you've been wow. in business for 30 years. Uh, I haven't. Uh, why are you asking me? And it was more or less like her son was looking into getting into journalism and she is old school print and she wanted to know like what the new realms were. Um, mm. But it was just kind of interesting to, to have that conversation with someone that, you know, I used to read when I was 12 and wow. uh, asking me for advice. It's uh, those moments. Well, are, and everybody knew each yeah. other too. So it's like, it's very, you know, a very collaborative like yeah. environment. And I was known as the guy that nobody knew. <laughs> <laughs> like you're the guy that we don't know. I'm like, yep, that's me. <laughs> yeah, most of them are, are pretty open and and willing to uh, to include you. Uh, yeah. I remember even God twelve years ago when I wasn't doing ski riding full time. Uh, National people came up to me asked to join because they're such an older demographic, right? Um, yeah. That they need young people to kind of take the torch. And uh, you know, in that respect, it's it's fun to be kind of that new wave generation. Even though I'm 47, you know, <laughs> I'm not exactly the young buck on the block. But yeah. it still it makes me is, feel um, young being. Yeah, <laughs> it does. Right. It's, it's, it's a responsibility that comes with it too, right? That you're, you For know, sure. the future yeah. of journalism. Um, not you individually, but your group is, and and that's right. um, you know somewhat important to me because of the way that I fell in love with the sport and the way I followed it through, you know, those magazines and movies and you know whatnot. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, after going to that meeting, you know, we kind of talked about it, Mario and I, we were like, wow, I guess we are actually journalists. Like, you know, cause <laughs> when you first start doing this, you're like, you're a couple guys having drinks, just talking about stuff. And, yeah. you know, I, and again, everyone's got their own point of view. And the thing that people kind of resonate with us is like, we try to make it out. Like we're the guys in your car and we're going on a ski trip together. Like we want to kind of be an accessory to your ski trip, to your ski weekend, to your vacation, because that's kind of how it started for us was we were doing share houses up at Mount Snow and Killington. And we would just be chatting in the car for four hours and usually about ski stories and then other stuff as well. So we're like, how can we kind of format this? So it actually makes sense and people want to listen to it. And it's taken a bunch of years. The one thing I've noticed this year is that, um, we're not sharing cameras in the classroom, right? Because of COVID and whatnot. So they're all using their phones, which is not, uh, not a superior technology audio wise, but video wise, it's just as good. Mm. The packages we've gotten in this broadcast journalism class this year have been far and above way better than the previous three years I've done this job. Really? And I think a lot of that has to do with the comfort level 
of mm-hmm. kids are comfortable with their phones. They're not comfortable with this camera that they've got to take the the, the SD card out of and put it into the computer. And, right. right. There's these extra steps they take. And because you want to upload it, you want to just share right from there, things like that, right? Because of that, they're concentrating on the actual journalism part, like telling the story or oh, getting cool, the right yeah. thought, uh, or asking the right questions. And, um, you know, I know that technologically, like the people that are in our, our community TV station aren't exactly thrilled with that because they want, you know, the, the better quality for TV, but they're also right. 14 and 15 year old kids. Um, yeah. I want them to care more about the journalism and telling stories and to grasp onto that than really, you know, figuring out how to use uh, Adobe. Right. I mean, right. It, it's, it's, that's more of my, my, it's a whole different set of, it's a whole different uh, skill set really is being a, an editor, you know, right. than versus being the person actually doing the journalistic part. Absolutely. Of it. So I've been really proud of the kids this year um, because of that, that they've, you know, because they're comfortable with the tools they're using, they've used that, um, attention span into trying to tell the best stories they can. And they've done a great job. That's and so that's good, good to hear. Cause there's so many kids out there just doing stupid TikTok videos that have no, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No con- like well, it's superficial. That's the thing. It's, it's like entertainment. It's superficial, but it's, it's just, I don't know. Superficiality yeah. is much easier to meme and much easier yeah. to, to go viral. And that's totally unfortunately what a lot of people are aiming towards instead of actually putting the time in to develop a skill set that allows you to tell a better story, but takes a little bit more time. Yep. And actually, it's funny you brought that up because they, I did find um, through uh, the uh, Journalist Education Association last week released a spreadsheet of journalists and uh, news media sites using TikTok. And I presented that to them because they're all into TikTok. They're all into, you know, what's going on. But it was also a way to say, check these people out. These are journalists that are using TikTok in a different way. and it's interesting for them to go see that and to get a different view of how to use that medium. Um, yeah. It's it's tough to find anyone doing it in a real fascinating way. You know, the Washington Post does some interesting stuff sometimes. Um, NBC does some interesting stuff once in a while. But it's just it's a tough medium to translate to journalism. And some people are trying, uh, but I think that it just hasn't really got that niche yet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And you know what? We agree that the future of journalism is positive because we had a young gentleman who reached out to us and he said that he did his intro to journalism report on our podcast. Nice. Nice cool. Yeah. He just got back to us and said he got an A plus on it. Which was awesome. And it's funny. For my first thought was I wonder if it's someone from Eric's class. But (laughs) this gentleman is from it's from Iowa. Yep. And so definitely from Iowa. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is nice seeing, like, I, I was amazed. I'm like, you actually wrote about us, like not like Joe Rogan or someone who's like yeah, compelling and more fascinating, but, it's awesome. famous, but, uh, but it's cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, I wish it were one of my kids, but that's great that it's from Iowa. <laughs> Maybe next year. <laughs> All right, Eric, thank you so much for your time. So white dash haze.com. If people yep. want more info on the book, if they want to follow you at, Globe, at Eric Globe, Eric Glober, uh, both on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and skijournal.com? Skijournal.com. Yes, I am there as well. Um, Eric.Wilber at skijournal.com. Awesome. Any, any other spots to follow you or is that enough? Uh, well, I mean, there are plenty of spots, but, you know, they're, they're private. <laughs> there you go. Ooh, that's a teaser Eric. for the next book. Family friendly spots. Yes. That's right. 
Eric, thank you so much for your time. We do appreciate it. Guys. It was great. Check out the book and yeah. follow Eric everywhere. Pre-order it. That's the easy way to do it, right? Yep. <laughs> Indeed. All right. All right. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, guys. That was great. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you want the link to any of Eric's social media profiles, the book, everything, we're going to have it at skibumpodcast.com. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. Hit us up on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, untapped at skibumpodcast. Send us an email, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. We have a shop, skibumpodcast.com slash shop. Thank you so much to our sponsors, Valon Eyewear, Valon.store, V-A-L-L-O-N dot S-T-O-R-E. Go there, Skibum 15, 15% off your order. Teresia, Teresia Outerwear, T-E-R-R-A-C-E-A.com. Go there, use the code Teresia Bum for 15% off. Thank you everyone so much for listening. We do appreciate it. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Stay high, stay pudding. See ya.